All right, it's time for the main event here at New York Comic Con 2017. Ben Morse, Editorial Director of Digital Media here. I got with me... Editor Eric Goldman. And we have the man, the soul man, Charles Soul. Charles, how are you doing? You're at the end of New York Comic Con 2017. I feel like I don't have much of a soul left no. at this point, but but I gave it all to all the millions of people I met this weekend. It was it was awesome. This is one of the, the craziest New York Comic Cons I can remember, and I've been coming to them since the beginning, but I guess that just means the stories are good and people like comics, and it's a celebration. What were most fans talking to you about when they approached you this uh, this weekend? What, what's the buzz going on? Uh, as far as my stuff, it was yeah. mostly Darth Vader. Okay. Um, people are loving the Darth Vader series, which is which is amazing to hear, uh, and Astonishing X-Men, uh, and Daredevil, and, and Poe Dameron. So really, all four series I write for Marvel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Uh, look, uh, I'm pointing at my Star Wars tattoo to say that it might be a little meaningful for me. Uh, I love your Star Wars stuff, and I think it must be so cool, you know, for a Star Wars fan that you get to delve into so many different time periods. Is that just really cool? Like, right now, even with Poe Dameron and Darth Vader, to get to explore this universe in completely different ways like that? I mean, the the eight-year-old Star Wars fan Charles version, version of Charles, and the, the current-day, present-day version of Charles are, are both equally, like, stunned that I get to do these that I get to tell these stories I mean Star Wars is a, is a mythology that has meant a lot to me and my whole family uh, to you know to all of us since we were very little and the idea that I'm adding things to it now that are you know hopefully meaningful to people in the way that the stories were meaningful to me in the beginning uh, is, is a real it doesn't feel just like a great gig it feels like a privilege uh, and so I'm I, I'm loving it I'm loving the way that I get to interact with fans uh, Star Wars fans are some of the best uh, you know they're just as good as Marvel Comics fans they're just slightly different and some there's some overlap too. There's some big overlap. Yep, there, for sure, for sure. Uh, so I don't know, it's just a blast. I mean, as you said, working the different time periods, the Poe Dameron series is set right before The Force Awakens, so I get to play with the First Order and all these cool new toys. Uh, and then, of course, the Darth Vader series is set right after Episode 3, so Darth Vader is uh, just gotten, yeah, he, it's Darth Vader year one. He's just gotten into a suit, a uh, suit of terrible armor, and he's, he's kind of learning how to murder people that yeah. way. He was already pretty good at it, as yeah. we saw in Episode 3, now he's getting even better at it. I want to talk about Darth Vader for a sec. I mean, that's just like, that's one of the biggest characters, not just in, say, comics or sci-fi, but in fiction, period. He's an archetypal character. Um, Jumping on that, especially, like you said, right after he's gone through his formative steps, was there any stress? Was there any trepidation about doing it, or or did you just jump right in? Uh, There sure was, and thanks for (laughs) reminding me. Uh, But, you know, at this point, I've written 12 issues of it, so I'm I'm pretty far in, uh, and, you know, I think that whenever I get one of these big gigs, like Daredevil was honestly the same way for me, because Daredevil has had some of the best writers in comics do incredible runs and, and the idea that they asked me to do it was was you know oh man like even if I do something good it's not going to necessarily live up to these these landmark runs and as you say Darth Vader is not he's you know it's not just a big comics character it's like a big character worldwide yep. um, so so yeah there was some like oh man you know but I always think whenever I get one of these these jobs or these opportunities really uh, you know all you can do is your best and so I, I worked very hard on it to try and do something that felt like it would be uh mythological, uh, like something that has the the epic struggle of good and evil that I really think elevates Star Wars beyond just so many other science fiction properties that, that we all know and, and love. But Star Wars just has that feeling of like the fate of the world, the fate of the galaxy really is at stake. And if I could figure out a way to, to add to that in a way that didn't feel just like a cash-in or a tie-in, that felt like it really was part of the story, that's the goal I set myself and, and hopefully I'm, I'm getting close. 
love how, you know, even in a book like Vader, it's set in a specific time period, but, you know, you're getting to pull upon so many different parts of Star Wars. You had the Inquisitor, Grand Inquisitor, in the last issue. Uh, but I have to ask you about issue five, which I'm sure you've heard many people gush about. I will back that up as well and just say, uh, how, you know, was it fascinating for you to get to tell that story, the the, the road that could have been, that, that you know, such, oh, yeah. a, such a core, interesting moment that was both, I think, very emotional for fans, and it was for me, and also gets to call upon, like, the history of this character or some prequel stuff that maybe we don't always com- completely attach to Vader, even though, of course, it is part of his life. Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, the, the goal with... The, the, so the story arc in the, in the first five issues of Darth Vader revolves around him get, finding and getting his red lightsaber because at the end of Revenge of the Sith, he doesn't have one anymore. His blue lightsaber was taken by Obi-Wan Kenobi after Anakin lost their duel, and then so Vader doesn't have that iconic red saber we've seen so many times in his uh, in all the other films. So so it was about this, this iconic sort of death wizard finding his magic sword. Uh, and, and at the same time, I, I wanted to put him through in the previous four issues conflicts where he was fighting but he didn't have his saber so like I had to figure out a way for him to fight 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 and by the end of issue 4 he's had a bunch of different types of of battles Uh, but he has a lightsaber and so I wanted issue 5 to feel like it was the biggest like an an escalation of the fights that he's been battling and so who's a better opponent for Darth Vader who's the only real opponent for Darth Vader besides himself and so issue 5 is really about him Fighting, fighting what was left of Anakin Skywalker in, in, in him, and and if I, you know, who knows, I might change my mind, but but as far as I'm currently intending, that is the last time we will ever see anything that feels like Anakin Skywalker, in at least in this series. Astonishing X-Men. One of the coolest things about the X-Men is they've got so many toys in the toy box to play with. You've got an eclectic team, to say the least. I'm a little curious about how the selection process went as far as what characters were going to appear in this book. Well, I mean, I'm going to be frank. There is there is some degree of, well, here's who's available. Yeah. Because because at that point, the you know X-Men Gold and X-Men Blue, uh, Weapon X book, and Generation X were already all online. Sure. And, and they are all fantastic, and they all had, but they all have their own rosters, and so um, you know you, you don't want to when you're when you're telling stories with these these characters. If you can avoid it, you don't want to overlap too much with other ones because if, if if the same characters in four books, I think it takes some of the drama out to a degree because you're like well you know they can't do something too terrible. It can't change them too much because they have to show up in X Men Blue next week. Yeah. So. So for me, it was like, what are the characters I really love that I can tell a great story with that are a little unencumbered within the Marvel Universe right now? So that ended up being um, Psylocke, and I can't believe she was yeah, sort of sure. free. So Psylocke, uh, Rogue, and Gambit, who hadn't been in the next book together in a long time. Uh, Mystique, who I personally just love writing. I think yeah. she has a lot of... Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of... Well, Mystique to her, right? Yeah, there you go. Pretty dumb, but I said it. <laughs> That's just, you, could, you just never know where she's going to be, where she's going to land in any sort of moral conflict, which is a great type of character to include on the team. You, and then you, you counterbalance that with, with Angel, who is a you know straight up the middle, not morally complex guy in some ways. He's like on the side of good, but then he's got the Archangel buried inside him. Yeah. And so I kind of get two characters in one there that I was playing with. Um, and then, gosh, I think I'm missing some. Oh, Phantom X, of course. And Phantom X and Bishop are on, are on the team as well. So all of those characters are people that I felt like I could do stuff with. We have deep histories within the X-Men, uh, and you can bounce things off each other. So obviously Rogue and Gambit have their romantic history. Uh, Mystique is kind of Rogue's mom. Uh, Old Man Logan has killed all these people at one point or another. <laughs> yeah. Like, yep. there's, It's really... Um, 
it was it felt like a rich, heady stew of characters and backgrounds that I could do something interesting with, and I like their powers too. Um, but but obviously, I'm skipping the the big character yes. that that shows up at the end of issue one. And I I mean, issue four just came out, so at this point, yeah, I, think I think it's we're good. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's Charles Xavier. So Professor X is is a huge part of the book. Uh, he he is dead uh, in the story. The story takes place in both in the real world in London and at the same time in, in the astral plane, which is the domain of the Shadow King, where lots of sort of impossible things can happen. Lots of, you know, deceased people can pop up. And so we've seen Xavier, and he seems to be playing a uh, some kind of strange psychological game against the Shadow King. And, and the X-Men roster, the cast of this book, are, are kind of their, their game pieces, their pawns. And so it's the question in the book is, you know, who's going to win that game? If whoever wins that game, should they win that game? Is that going to be a good thing or a bad thing for the X-Men and Xavier and the Shadow King? Um, the Astonishing is designed as like a puzzle box sort of book. Lots of twists and turns. You never totally know what's going to happen next. It's always surprising and always very fast-paced and intense. So it's been great. I really like um, having you know Rogue and Mystique on this team together. There's such a history there. Uh, by the way, just one of my all-time favorite comics as a kid was Avengers Annual 10, Rogue's first appearance, where she's in the Brotherhood with yep. Mystique. So it's really cool that there is so much deep history there and lore that you can call upon. And they, they, they've had a very up-and-down relationship, to say the least. Will that be? Will we be seeing that uh, continue? Safe to say? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can't. I mean, nobody trusts Mystique. Mystique doesn't trust anybody else, which is great. Um, but all of these characters have have dark pasts, really. Like, they've all done things that, you know, you're not sure about. I mean, Bishop uh, was, like, he exterminated billions of people at one point because he thought it was the right thing to do. Um, obviously, Archangel is an apocalypse seed, so, so if you let him run too, too rampant, everything starts to fall apart in the world. Um, but the history is part of X-Men. It's always been part of X-Men. The big, endless soap opera. That, that's kind of what makes it good. That's what people like. Uh, and so for me, the... It, it makes it easier, but also much more complicated because you want to make sure that your the relationship you're writing between these characters feels authentic to that history, but also lets you go to new places. Like the idea that anytime Rogue and Gambit hang out, they've got to make out. Like it doesn't, it doesn't. It's it's not as interesting. Um, so you have to figure out ways to work within that framework and, and tell a cool news story too. Yeah. All right, Daredevil. Yeah, Daredevil. Oh my God, the things you're doing in Daredevil, you're making taking big swings. Uh, the stuff with the secret identity, of course, was huge. It was cool to get you see see you play out a courtroom case. But now with Marvel Legacy, Mayor Fisk. Yeah. Uh, pretty big idea. Pretty cool idea. What led you to this idea? Well, it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before with Darth Vader and, and so on, and, and, and thinking that Daredevil has had some of the best writers and artists on it in, in, in all of comics, you know, from Stan Lee, obviously, but then, you know, the Frank Miller run, Bendis, Brubaker, uh, Mark Wade's incredible run, Chris Somini and all the other artists they worked with. I mean, it's it's just, you, you really have to... If you're going to take that job, I think, you really have to dig deep and try to think of something new you can say with the character. Yeah, sure. And so I decided that I wanted to tell a big novelistic kind of Daredevil run that would build up to uh, a story that feels incredibly organic. Like if, if you look at page one of Daredevil 1 that I did with the incredible Ron Garney, it, it builds to this Marvel Legacy issue 595, the start of Marvel Legacy and Daredevil, which is Mayor Fisk. And so... The, the basic concept behind it was that, uh, you know, Daredevil and Wilson Fisk, the Kingpin, both love New York City. They both have a sense of what New York City should be. They both feel like they 
can guide it to a better place. But obviously their methods and the destination they want to reach is completely opposite, and it's always been completely opposite. And so on page one of Mayor Fisk, issue 595, Daredevil finds out that Fisk has won the mayoral election. He was out of the country for a while in issues 26 through 28, and we just hit the ground running. So you don't need to know anything else about what I've done on the run. You can start with that issue. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it's a huge story building up to the landmark Daredevil 600, which is going to be even bigger. And I, it's when you start with the idea that the Kingpin has already won the city, he's already, the Kingpin has become the king, yeah. like where do you go from there? Uh, I know where we go from there, and it is enormous, and, and it's my attempt, yeah. it might fall its, on its face, but it's my attempt to, to write something for Daredevil that will stand up directly alongside some of those great earlier runs. Backtracking a second, you know, Ben mentioned something I really loved, which is, you know, the whole idea of him uh, uh, going, you know, testifying in costume, mm -hmm. which, you know, seems so perfect because if any comic was going to test the boundaries of superhero law, it should be Daredevil. But, uh, yeah, like, you know, Ben was saying, that's that's huge ramifications in the Marvel Universe, mm -hmm. uh, which they mentioned, you know, what, yep. what this means going forward. So are you, you know, intrigued to sort of see, you know, now that that's sort of a... Uh, an idea out there in Marvel, how that might be playing other stories, both in Daredevil and perhaps other comics? Sure. I, I, I mean, I will say for sure that the Mayor Fisk idea is going to be reflected all across the Marvel Universe. And right. on Spider-Man, all the books, it's going to be, you know, Fisk is mayor. And and there are, that's going to make life very complicated for the heroes who reside in New York, which is 90% of the Marvel Universe. So, so it's going to be really fun. But as far as, like, things like the... Um, the, the court case that, that Matt Murdock won in Supreme, uh, it's, it's something that, you know, you need a writer who wants to write a legal drama in their superhero comic. Maybe not everybody wants to do that. Uh, I certainly will, and will be, I'll be picking up the plot point down the road. But it's one of those things that, you know, you add to the Marvel Universe however you can. Uh, if other writers want to pick up that ball, they certainly can. Uh, and if it fits their stories, I, I hope they will. But, you know, you never know. You can't, you can't write everybody else's books for them. But I just, I thought it was a cool thing. It made sense within the Marvel Universe that this would be something someone would try to achieve. And uh, I, I like that people kind of really like, seem to like that arc. All right, final question for you, Charles. This was a long week. I was, uh, I watched you through all of it. You went to Marvel editorial retreat, then came to New York Comic Con. How do you, how are you holding up? How are you, uh, how are you doing? And uh, how much sleep are you? How seeking? much sleep are you seeking coming out of here? Man, I, I, I'm gonna have dinner with some friends tonight. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, but then after that, I'm gonna sleep till Thursday. You know? Yeah, that's I. This morning I got up and I knew uh, I was coming to the con again today, and I, I kind of sat. I got all ready, I was all put together, and I, then I kind of sat on the edge of the bed. I'm like, man, I, if I could just not do this today. But but that said, I came in, and I'm so glad I did, because New York Comic Con is so energizing. The, meeting the fans, talking to people, seeing the love for the books, is there's nothing like it. And, and I'm so glad I didn't just take a nap. Good. All good, man. Well, thank you for joining us. One of the busiest men in comics, yes. writing a million books at once, but they're all good. We love them. Thank you, Charles. All Thanks. right. Thanks so much. This is Marvel. Your Universe.